Lisa. Thank you. Commissioner Dara Abrams. Here. Commissioner Johnson. Present. Commissioner Noctegal could not make it tonight. Chair Souls. Here. Vice Chair Ewan. Here. Commissioner Sutham Fira. Here. Commissioner Whitesey. Here. Thank you. Uh, agenda item two, are there any agenda changes? Seeing none, we'll move on to agenda item three, staff communications, and I'll turn it back over to you, Lisa, thanks. Thank you, I'm Lisa Foster, uh, uh, Acting Transportation Planning Manager. I'll give some updates on what's happening, uh, starting with City Council actions on items the Transportation Commission has reviewed. We just have the February 6th authorization of agreements to implement the estuary water shuttle. We are slated to um, bring the annual reports to City Council on March 19th for them to consider accepting them. Upcoming, Mar upcoming Transportation Commission meetings are March 27th, May 22nd, and then August 28th. Uh, some of the topics we might be addressing at those meetings include the Social Services and Human Relations Board Community Needs Assessment, uh, sea level rise adaptation projects and the fern side traffic calming and resurfacing pro oh, and actually traffic calming and bikeways project di design concept alternatives. For events, I actually have a couple that I didn't have when this published. So the confirmed date for the transportation 101 at the Mastic Senior Center in Cantonese is March 22nd. Um, and then we'll have another Transportation 101 in English on April 18th, and then hop on the bus with us at Mastic Senior Center is March 22nd and April 25th. And then the Alameda Bike Festival will be at Love Elementary School on April 27th. A um, Couple of the surveys that have been open for a while are still, as far as I can tell, open, but I've talked about them in the past, so I'll let that um, just be in the staff communications document. And then in terms of other updates, sadly we had a fatal crash on Alameda Streets on February 11th, 20, this year. Um, our first fatality of the year. A motorcyclist on Lincoln Avenue collided with a vehicle whose driver was attempting to make a left turn from 9th Street. Um, so every traffic death affects loved ones and the community, and we are sad about this event. Um, we will hold a post-collision site visit, as we always do, and information as it becomes available will be added to our fatal crash response page. Uh, at the point of the publication of our agenda, the construction on Sherman, Clement, and Atlantic, that intersection, uh, East Bay Mud had installed um, the buffered bike lanes and new intersection pavement markings to define areas for pedestrians, bikes, and vehicles, but the city had not quite yet ad added the vertical delineators and concrete wheel stops. Okay, still true. Um, uh, to prevent vehicles from entering the bike lanes. So that is still coming. And um, also, the, we have construction ongoing on the Cross Alameda Trail signals and on Clement Avenue. And of course, we're giving you a whole update on the status of many, many projects tonight. So I will st oh, stop there, except for one thing I did hear from AC Transit Realign today that they are taking a new schedule 
for their you know, public outreach to their AC Transit board on March 13th. So we should kind of know what that looks like after that date. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. All right, thank you for that update too. Um, all right, moving on to item number four. This is public comment. This is for any comments that we have that are not related to any of the items that are on the agenda this evening. Do we have any public comments online? Um, uh, good evening, Chair Souls. No, we don't have any, and I don't have any slips either. So. Okay. We will close the non-agenda public comment and move on to the consent calendar under agenda item five. Five A, um, I, will, I will take. The city of Alameda is uh, celebrating a season of nonviolence. This is the season that marks the 64 days between the assassinations of Mahatma Gandhi and Martin Luther King Jr. And it's celebrated with a word of the day. And today, February 28th, is Leap of Faith. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, that leap of faith is taken is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. So I'll leave that for thought with you and move on to agenda item 5B, which is to approve the draft minutes of January 24th. I believe we had a full commission present, so there shouldn't be any abstentions, but if there are any comments or motions to approve, I'll entertain those now. Actually, I have one from Go Commissioner Noctegall asked, she said we missed her name on the oh. list of people attending, so we'll add that. She is correct. I just saw absent none and didn't check the list, so thank you. We will correct that for Commissioner Noctegall, who is not able to be with here tonight, and so thank you for bringing that. So with that correction, do I have a motion? Commissioner Whitesey, second by Sundara. Thank you. All in favor. Uh, I think we have to do voice. Are we doing voice votes? Okay. Oh, uh, all in favor, say aye. 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 All opposed, say no. Thank you, Lisa. The motion passes unanimously to approve those minutes with that correction. And now we are on to our agenda item six regular. Agenda items, our first one being to review and discuss AC Transit's development of the transit supportive design guidelines, and we're going to have our presentation by our, our friends from AC Transit now. Welcome. Thank you. Um, hello, commissioners. Uh, my name is Crystal Wang, and I am one of the transportation planners at AC Transit, and today I'm here to present on the transit supportive design guidelines. Um, let me just create, yep. Uh, so AC Transit's currently in the process of developing our transit supportive design guidelines document and it's intended to help cities and jurisdictions understand the operational needs of transit and paratransit, um, especially in coordination with other streetscape projects um, like bike lane and pedestrian safety projects. And ultimately this is meant to be a guide document for planners and engineers to reference as they're designing projects on their streets um, where buses and paratransit operate. Um, and this current effort is an update to our 2018 multimodal corridor guidelines uh, document and we're just doing this update now to provide clearer guidance to jurisdictions about considerations for a truly multimodal um, corridor environment. So this time, like I said, we, we plan to expand on the previous guidelines and make sure we address how to accommodate paratransit needs 
um, comfort for people waiting at bus stops and also other operational needs for transit that should be considered, like layover space. Um, and what we're aiming for is basically just a more comprehensive set of multimodal guidelines that, that's really focused on transit, of course, but um, really lays out considerations that would be compatible for all users of the street. Um, so I'm not gonna go over all of this, but this uh, guidelines document will include all this content and information that cities can work from, like bus stop dimensions, um, designs that aren't compatible with transit, minimum lane width requirements, and access improvements to and from bus stops. Um, and like I said, one of the main reasons that we're doing this update is to cover paratransit operational needs, so we'll be providing guidance on this, and we intend to make it clear what's uh, needed to accommodate paratransit access in street designs. So on this topic in particular, uh, just to provide a brief overview for anyone who's not familiar with paratransit, um, the Americans with Disabilities Act requires bus and rail agencies to provide paratransit service to riders whose um, disabilities may prevent them from using regular public transit, so it's federally mandated. And AC Transit and BART partnered to establish East Bay Paratransit. So that's the paratransit service that our guidelines will be focused on, but some cities and social service organizations also um, offer their, their own paratransit services. So this slide just covers some of the basics of East Bay paratransit operations, but I think the key thing to mention here is that paratransit vans need space to pull up to a curb and clear area for deploying a lift, and paratransit vans actually can't use bus stops. Um, so it's critical to have designated paratransit stops or loading zones on streets for paratransit vans to, to use. Um, so the guidelines will address topics on corridor-wide considerations for transit, um, such as preferred traveling widths or concerns about speed bumps, and then we're also gonna get into um, bus stop design, including guidance on some different bus stop types uh, based on common roadway and bikeway configurations, which is what's shown here. Um, I'm not gonna go into detail on all of these, but at a high level, there's the bus stop bus stop type shown in the top left, which is just your common conventional bus stop on a street where there's no bikeway. And then the other five bus stop types shown here all assume a roadway condition where the bus stop overlaps with a bikeway or a bicycle facility. Um, we're tentatively saying that our preferred bus stop design would be something like what's shown in the bottom left-hand corner. Um, and if that looks familiar, it's because it's in Alameda. Um, so in this layout, you have a bus stop that's accessible. Um, people in wheelchairs don't need to navigate up and down curb ramps to get from the bus stop to the sidewalk. Um, there's plenty of room for amenities like a bus shelter. And then behind the bus stop, you have that high quality bike lane um, raised to sidewalk level and completely separated from vehicle traffic, followed by the sidewalk. Um, and of course, to help people navigate and avoid conflicts in a layout like this, the design needs to include some kind of tactile, detectable, um, surface or delineation between the pedestrian areas and the bikeway. And this is especially important to make it safe for anyone who's blind or low vision. And I believe at this location in Alameda, the curves are beveled. Um, so there's a slight change in elevation to help people distinguish between the pedestrian and bikeway areas. But the city, city staff can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, Ultimately though, selecting which bus stop type um, comes down to site conditions like roadway speeds, if the right of way is constrained, and city priorities. 
Um, so on outreach, we've been going to a variety of groups to present and get feedback about this effort, including commissions like this, um, bicycle and pedestrian advisory committees, and accessibility advisory committees. Um, we've also convened a technical advisory committee, um, or TAC, consisting of staff from the local jurisdictions, the counties, Caltrans, ACTC, MTC, and WICTAC. Um, we've already met with the TAC once, and we have a second meeting scheduled for next week. And um, all these city and jurisdiction staff are basically the target audience for this guidelines document. But anyway, in summary, we plan to present and reach out to a variety of groups in our service areas as we work on developing these guidelines. And for the city in particular, I also intend on hopefully getting feedback from the Commission on Persons with Disabilities. So I need to schedule that. Um, Finally, just in terms of the timeline, we're currently putting together our first draft of the guidelines document, and we'll continue to make revisions on that for the next few months as we get feedback. Um, and the goal is to have the final transit supportive design guidelines document completed by spring 2024. Um, and with that, I'm happy to take any questions. Thank you so much, Crystal. All right, let me open it up to clarifying questions that weren't covered in the presentation first before I take any public comment and then we can have um, a discussion if anyone has any comments to provide to um, AC Transit. Are there any clarifying questions? No, we're good. Do we have, oh, go ahead, Vice Chair. This may be a very pedestrian question, I mean, <laughs> pedestrian question, a very, <laughs> a very simple question that I should know the answer to, but like, who are, these guidelines for per se are they for the city for ac transit planners for both i'm just sort of wondering kind of like jurisdictional out overlap with some of it yeah, it's really for both so that everyone within ac transit has consistent information that we're telling to cities and for city staff city and jurisdiction staff to know um, when they make their designs like at a bare minimum this is what transit needs so it's really for both thank you um, Similarly, and I know I should know this, but we have a committee on with uh, persons with disabilities is, and I saw the groups, I'm assuming that through one of those tacks, our committee is tapped for feedback? Yes, okay. I need to s reach out to um, the city staff too. I think it's Sarah Henry who runs the Commission on Persons with Disabilities. I will reach out to her to schedule a meeting and get their feedback. Okay, wonderful, this. thank you so much. Um, any other questions? Do we have any public comment? Uh, there are none. Great. Thank you so much Thank for you. being with us tonight. Um, so, uh, go right ahead. Sorry to interrupt, Chair. I, I have a sort of question comment. That's where we're going to next. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. I thought you were moving to the next <laughs> I was just well, saying, Crystal, sit ahead. down if it's just for discussion. And if there's a question you'd like to answer, feel free. Okay. But if you don't want to stand up there the whole time, don't feel obligated to do so. So, let's. you can kick us off, Commissioner Dare Abrams. Okay. Thank you, Chair Souls. Um, so I, I was um, just curious to put this in the broader context and confirm my understanding. This is sort of about the ideal outcomes of the owners of the infrastructure when they are modifying that infrastructure. Is that correct? So I was curious to know, does AC itself have minimum requirements for stops? Thank you for that question. Um, at a bare minimum, we have things like minimum roadway widths. Our buses are 10 feet wide, so in order to operate safely, we need roadways to be ideally 11 feet wide, for example. 
Um, we also at bus stop areas need clear space to deploy a ramp for wheelchairs or for paratransit. We need to have a clear space to actually deploy a lift. Um, so there, this guidelines document will address um, preferred and minimum standards. But as far as at least the rider experience is the, are the only actual requirements just ADA clearance and the flag post? Mostly, yes. Okay, mm -hmm. okay. So that's sort of at one end of the spectrum and this is at the other end. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. So, um, so the reason this is more a question and comment is I assume it's in everyone's interest to over time gradually improve those amenities and I imagine that involves funding that doesn't exist, but but good to have these these goals. Um, and I think, I will say from my past experience, I was kind of surprised. I know everyone in the industry knows this, but like the operator of the bus service does not own the site on which the stop is placed and to, you know, and the, and probably neither have money to improve it. Um, so that said, I did want to offer one one sort of additional comment question is I'm curious to know if AC has previously or in the future is thinking about um, assessing and removing stops in Alameda because it seems like in the long term like increasing average quality both for service and for amenities at stops benefits from decreasing the numbers and focusing the efforts and it's maybe out of scope for this but I'm curious to hear if they connect. Thank you for that. Um, that is something we actually coordinate with city staff on pretty regularly, um, re relocating stops if needed or adding um, bus stop furniture like benches, for example. The city owns the shelters and the benches, but they do coordinate with us on identifying locations that would be best suited for those elements. Um, yeah, that is something we do all the time. Um, but do does AC or, or city ever consider like um, uh, route level improvements, like removing half of the 51A stops, for instance? Never anything that extreme. Um, I guess that is something we're looking at as part of our, our realign project, is um, the route changes for that project. But normally, no, it's just maybe moving a stop from uh, near side of an intersection to the far side and then coordinating with the city to make sure that's okay and can we get red curb and get the sidewalk um, improved at that location. Okay, great, thank you for that. Um, I just wanted to sort of, you know, again, my question comments are more pointing towards a future in which maybe there are both more resources and more uh, possibility to kind of target them very specifically and increase the average quality of amenities. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments? Any other, um, go, Commissioner Whitesey. I just wanted to echo your comments, actually, because I thought they were really intelligent. We've talked about it a little bit before. I actually also agree with you that occasionally there are too many bus stops, and that can, in fact, hurt ridership and make the experience of ridership a lot worse. And so I, I would actually hope that there would be a bit more analysis of where do we get rid of stops that either aren't performing or, quite frankly, are unnecessary to the rider experience of getting on transit. So I just, I just wanted to echo thanks for saying that because I've beat that drum a couple times too and I would like it to be part of the process in theory going forward. Thank you, Commissioner Whitesey. Other comments or questions? All right. Um, if you have any after the fact, I'm sure we can send those over. 
the realign will be coming back, it sounds like, sometime after March, when after it goes to your board. And uh, with that, we can close out this discussion. I am 6A. Thank you again, Crystal, for being here this evening. Moving on to agenda item 6B. Um, 6B is to endorse a series of plans, and so I just want to lay out um, how we're going to take these. We're, we're going to have all of the presenters present one after the other, and so please just keep your notes um, clear on which ones you want to comment on. And then we'll open it up to public comment after that, and then we'll go through in that same order, um, plan by plan, but it's one action for endorsement, and we can do so with um, uh, comments that will be taken to City Council when it goes to uh, that body. Did I have all that right, Lisa? Okay. <laughs> just want to try and lay out the logistics here so we're all clear. So with that, um, I believe our first speaker is actually remote. We have Steve Buckley doing the um, general plan and housing element of um, that presentation. Uh, hello, good evening. Um, my name is Steve Buckley. Um, sorry, I was just joining as a panelist. No worries. Can you? We can hear you. Okay, great. Uh, yeah. So, um, good evening. Uh, I'm the Planning Services Manager, and um, I've been with the City of Alameda since uh, July of last year, and um, happy to be here with you. Um, I'm going to be presenting. Uh, just a few slides and uh, welcome your comments later. Uh, next slide. I don't know if I have control over the slides. I don't think so. Yeah, and we're not getting the slides on some of our monitors as well. So just give us a quick second. Oh, you got that, Lisa? <laughs> okay, there we go. Yeah, so um, this is the outline of the um, Alameda General Plan. Uh, this was adopted um, at the end of 2021 and um, includes uh, six topical sections as well as an introduction that sort of lays out the, the broad themes of the general plan. Um, I'm not going to go into a great amount of detail in part because we're covering the detail in the later presentations, but um, broadly speaking, the general plan um, is required to be uh, general, long range, uh, internally consistent, um, and sort of visionary, really. Um, and so it, it assists the city council and the departments in setting their budgets and work programs. Um, and um, for us, it helps us set our land use uh, densities and um, design criteria and um, and how we work with other departments in terms of um, transportation in particular as well as um, conservation uh, health and safety open space and housing so I'm going to talk mostly tonight about housing next slide so um, Housing is governed by a variety of state laws and, and programs. Um, what's called the RENA, the RHNA, is the Regional Housing Needs Assessment. And uh, every eight years, the 
state um, and local uh, planning agencies uh, put out projections for employment and housing and uh, economic development and um, try to allocate housing uh, responsibilities basically to each of the counties and cities throughout the state, um, all 500 of them, um, to provide the required housing that is projected for the next um, eight year period. And so that RENA allocation comes to the city and then we're obligated to zone appropriate land areas and densities and provide different programs and um, funding if possible to uh, facilitate that housing development. So last time around, um, up through 2022, uh, we had an allocation of just over 1,700 units. For the next allocation, we have about three times that much allocation. And so um, the state is really identifying a real shortage of housing, as we all know, and uh, especially affordable housing. And so um, in this table here, you can see um, that we actually exceeded our allocation last time around, um, but we came up short on the affordable portion of that. Uh, rather than getting to almost 1,000 units, we only had about 500. So uh, this time around, we're supposed to hit 3,000 affordable units. And, um, you know, we have, we have inclusionary requirements for each market rate developer, um, but uh, so far we're, we're still coming up short. And so um, we're really looking forward to the economic recovery and opportunities uh, to facilitate more affordable housing. Uh, some of the things we do are, you know, we participate in these regional programs like uh, priority development areas and transit priority areas. Um, we're focusing affordable housing in higher resource areas uh, where there's better schools and parks and jobs um, and transit. Uh, we're also uh, participating in um, the regional housing incentive program, which um, provides additional funding for the city and our partners. And uh, we're just actually applying uh, for a pro-housing designation, which also qualifies us for more funding going forward. Next slide. It's coming, hold on. It's coming. So um, this, this new housing element that was adopted just uh, last year, um, well, yeah, last year, um, sort of gives us uh, a, a variety of programs and timelines which align with our city council budget and work program, uh, their strategic plan um, and um, our, you know, sort of our available staffing and, and um, consultant budgets. And so um, in this past year, we were able to um, <laughs> prepare objective design review standards, which apply for projects so that they can know what the rules are and simply uh, take sort of the cookbook and design their project accordingly and hopefully, you know, get through the process with 
just one or two hearings instead of three or four. Um, we also updated the subdivision ordinance. It's going to city council uh, in March. And um, so that got through the planning board process um, and is uh, recommended for approval. It's, it's really a complete overhaul of the subdivision ordinance, which is important because that helps landowners and the city actually at Alameda Point prepare sites for development at the proper size and density with the proper infrastructure. Um, and so um, that's going to be, a, I, th I think, a big uh, influence on, on expediting uh, development processes. Um, we've also issued permits for some affordable housing, um, including a hotel conversion to uh, transitional housing units and um, some other projects at Alameda Point. Um, and uh, we also partner with the um, uh, Health and Housing Services uh, Department. And so we um, rely on them to do a lot of the legwork with um, um, renter assistance, uh, first-time home buyer assistance, and um, things like um, energy upgrade subsidies uh, for low-income homeowners. Next. So our goal for the coming year is to uh, update the inclusionary ordinance. That's the ordinance that provides that every market rate project also is supposed to provide 15% affordable units. Um, there's sort of a statewide framework uh, that was um, established a few years ago for uh, programs like this. And uh, so we're gonna be uh, trying to align the local ordinance with that statewide program that uh, establishes the same 15% as the baseline, but with a different level of affordability and different options for developers to um, provide offsite housing or um, different kinds of subsidies like a, a land dedication um, or um, say a, a local land trust that might partner with them. Uh, we're also gonna be looking at the short-term rental issue where units are taken off the uh, open market and used as essentially, you know, transient hotel rooms. Um, and, um, you know, lots of cities are, are dealing with that issue of sort of reduced housing supply um, because they're being used um, as commercial properties. Um, and some other uh, programs here for universal design, which is accessibility. Uh, we have an ordinance, but it, it could use some updating. And uh, we also have some streamlining provisions regarding um, compliance with state law, where we um, allow higher densities uh, along transit corridors. And um, we're, we're looking at ways to just uh, speed up the review process. So that's my presentation tonight. And uh, I'm happy to take questions later. Thank you so much. We'll go to the second presentation. Danielle is here for the Climate Action Plan. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening, Chair Souls, uh, Transportation Commission members. I'm Danielle Mueller. I'm the Sustainability and Resilience Manager. Um, recently, well, I guess about six months ago now, um, newly housed in the Planning, Building, and Transportation Department. Um, so I'm really pleased to be here tonight to talk about our Climate Action and Resiliency Plan um, implementation. 
As you know, we adopted this plan in 2019 with the goal of reducing our greenhouse gas emissions uh, quite significantly and adapting to our changing climate. Um, we are really lucky that we have 100% clean energy provided by AMP. And as a result of that, um, our emissions really primarily come from transportation, from uh, driving our cars. And then the remaining um, emissions come from natural gas in appliances and buildings. Um, so our greenhouse gas strategy is really quite simple. We just need to electrify everything and then walk, bike, and take transit as much as possible. Um, we are going to be doing a simple but not easy. <laughs> um, we are going to be doing a five-year CARP update this coming year. Um, it's going to include a, an updated greenhouse gas inventory for the 2022 um, calendar year. We're going to be looking at our past CARP performance, see where we, we're at kind of midway through the plan. Um, we'll be updating the, the vision and the goals and the strategies, um, doing a lot of community engagement. And then we're going to focus on some implementation plans for the next five years to really ensure that we can meet those goals. Um, it's, it's not a full update. It's going to be a, kind of in a mid-cycle adjustment, an addendum. We're not doing a full plan rewrite. But trying to make sure that we get to our 2030 goals and that everything is kind of relevant. Lots been changing in the last five years. Um, so I'm going to focus my comments tonight on um, electric vehicles. Um, because Ms. Foster will be following up with many of the uh, mode shift strategies that are CARP related. Um, but I'm happy to answer questions on really any component of the, of the CARP annual report. Um, so one of CARP's goals is around encouraging the adoption of electric vehicles. Um, and that has been going quite well. We have um, had 728 new uh, clean EV, clean um, vehicles, battery electric, fuel cell, plug-in hybrid. Uh, registered in Alameda in 2022. It now makes up 6.8% of all registered vehicles in Alameda, which was only 2.3% in 2017. Um, and I think really interestingly, while we've had a lot more electric vehicles, we're also having fewer vehicles overall. Um, so that's a good sign as well. GAMP um, provides some really great rebates for EV adoption. So they uh, provide a rebate for used EVs up to $6,000 for up to a $40,000 uh, purchase price. And they um, did quite well in 2023 with 61 uh, rebates, and they've had 142 to date. Um, they also offer an e-bike rebate of $600 that can be layered on top of an additional $300 for Alameda TMA members. Um, and AMP uh, issued 116 e-bike rebates this last year. Um, on EV charging, AMP also has a number of rebates for EV charging. Um, you can see the amounts there for residential, multifamily, um, and commercial. They issued 245 rebates in 2023, which is a really steep increase over 2022. Um, and there have been 730 rebates issued uh, so far since CARP was adopted. Um, we have also in the building departments uh, streamlined permitting and same-day uh, web permits for um, EV chargers and other electrification-related measures. Um, public charging, we have 10 charging locations in Alameda. There are 68 ports of plugs, um, 10 new charging stations at Seaplane Lagoon added this year. 
Um, and we have an RFP that's out right now, or it's closed, but we're evaluating uh, responses right now for a public EV charging provider um, to, on, to provide more charging on city-owned parking lots. And then I just wanted to talk a little bit about our sea level rise adaptation efforts. Um, in 2021, we started coordinating um, across with um, agencies within Oakland and Alameda areas um, to address sea level rise, particularly in some of our locations, Bay Farm Island. Uh, we have flooding that comes originates in Alameda and goes to, and um, impacts Oakland and the port and flooding from the port that impacts Oakland. And so we really saw that it was um, going to be important to collaborate. Um, so we've been having quarterly meetings with um, more than 100 participants who are involved in the, in the meetings. We have a, a steering committee, um, and we've been really able to do some good coordination um, across that, that area. Um, we were also successful in last year in getting um, $3.4 million. Um, in grant funding for three projects, which are being uh, administered by the city of Alameda on behalf of the Oakland Alameda Adaptation Committee. The first one is a sub-regional adaptation plan, so it's gonna be a long-term sea level rise strategy for the entire um, Oakland and Alameda shorelines. We also have a project with Caltrans funding uh, for the, um, the estuary near the Posey-Webster tubes. That's gonna look at adaptation measures on both the Oakland and Alameda sides um, to help protect the tubes and those um, kind of low spots along that part of the shoreline. And then we have the Bay Farm Island Adaptation Project. We received FEMA funding to look at um, design options for the northern shoreline of Bay Farm Island and particularly for Veterans Court and the lagoon outfall there. Um, so I'll just go back one second. Um, we are, we've just applied for a, a $55 million FEMA uh, grant for the Bay Farm Island to continue the Bay Farm Island project. This was in partnership with the city of Oakland, um, and we're, it's, it's a package of projects that's going to address um, the northern shoreline, the Bay Trail there, the Veterans Court area, and the Lagoon Outfall, as well as Doolittle Drive and protecting Doolittle Drive. And it's going to, um, if we're successful, close the Bay Trail gap on Doolittle Drive. Um, and it, does a, it also does wetlands and some neighborhood mitigation um, in Oakland. But all that to, to kind of point out is that a lot of our adaptation issues are transportation related. We have a lot of transportation infrastructure um, that's impacted by sea level rise. So the coming year, we're gonna be doing a lot of things. Um, updating CARP, as I mentioned. We're working on urban forest plan. Uh, we're gonna work on that public EV charging network uh, we're continuing to work on building electrification. Uh, the Public Works team is working on compost application in the city and updating the zero waste uh, implementation plan. We're gonna be continuing to um, implement those three sea level rise adaptation projects. And uh, there is a DPAVE Park master plan that's in the works. And that is, I think I have just this slide for ways to keep in touch and learn more about um, these efforts. Thank you. Great, thank you, Danielle. And now for our third presentation, we'll have Lisa Foster. Hi. Good evening, Chair Souls, Transportation Commissioners. Um, hope you guys are staying awake. Presentation number three, I, I will address the annual report on transportation. 
and which shows our progress on city goals related to safety, mobility, equity, and mode shift. You know, and I'm giving most of the presentation, but it represents the work of multiple people and consultants as well. And with us tonight, we have Rochelle Wheeler, uh, Senior Transportation Coordinator, Robert Vance, Deputy Director of Public Works, and Scott Wickstrom, our city engineer. So we are in good hands. Um, and I will start with some highlights of, of the accomplishments from 2023. I'm gonna move kind of quickly, but we can always come back to things. So last year, improvements came to 3.4 miles of roadway and 20 intersections. Um, and that included road diets, speed humps, new bike lanes, traffic signal upgrades, new curb extensions, new and upgraded crosswalk markings and intersection daylighting and included 3.3 miles of new bikeways. And some of the projects that show up on that previous map are you know, complete streets opening up at Alameda Point. On Main Street, we extended the road diet and bike lanes, um, speed humps on Orion Street, and it did also include the Caltrans project on Ensenal, and then not on the map, uh, eliminating 4,000 trip hazards on sidewalks. We also completed extensive community engagement and design work to, and, um, to bring concepts to city council that they approved for Clement Avenue extension Tilden Way, Grand Street, shoreline to all the way to Blanding, and then the Lincoln Ave, Marshall Way, Pacific Ave project pictured here. And, um, most adorably of the projects that we did. <laughs> um, we prepared for the estuary water shuttle service so that it can launch in summer 20 this year. Um, it will be a two-year pilot with free service between Bohol Circle Immigrant Park and Jack London Square. And, and last year we worked with public and private partners to secure $2.5 million in funding, purchase the yellow boat, um, pontoon boat named Woodstock, and you know, work on our operator agreements. We also um, did a lot of work on the Oakland Alameda Estuary Bridge, evaluating 12 bridge concepts and um, choosing three of them for the project initiation document and having a lot of advisory committee meetings, et cetera. And we expanded the free bus pass program that the city runs as one of our paratransit programs. Um, it serves low-income seniors and people with disabilities, and it expanded 140% last year. And now we have 800 people enrolled who are Alameda residents, and they took an astounding 164,000 rides last year. Um, very diverse bunch, 60% uh, of them do not speak English, um, and we are translating our materials into multiple languages. Every year, all the time, there are constraints on our work. Last year was a particularly hard one in terms of staffing. Um, we didn't expect it to have staffing this low, but we did have up to five engineering vacancies at Public Works, despite multiple recruitment efforts. And then we also had a, a deficit on the transportation planning team beginning mid-year. Um, but I am happy to report you know, we have Scott Wickstrom here tonight. We have, he is the new city engineer, started late September last year. 
And then um, in January this year, three new assistant engineers began at Public Works. Very exciting. Uh, and then just recently, the City Council approved a budget adjustment that will fix the, the deficit that happened on the transportation planning team. We also had to pivot on a few things. Um, the Central Avenue project received funding for a third roundabout, which was great, and also flood management elements. But it, mean, it meant we needed time for more design and another round of Caltrans approvals. Um, the estuary water shuttle unexpectedly required purchasing that boat. We thought we were going to be using an existing boat and just hire the service, but there was nothing that worked. And then the Grand Street project needed a new community process. Um, other constraints that happen a lot, you know, funding, for instance, we did apply for $20 million for the Lincoln Marshall Pacific project um, and didn't get it last year. Um, Construction bids are coming in notably higher than engineering estimates. Um, and then, you know, we often need outside agency approvals. So, you know, Caltrans had to approve Central Ave. They're also approving Grand Street because of funding requirements. And then we have an agency approval that needs to happen for Clement Tilden for soil remediation. So just generally, these are big, complicated, multi-step projects that often have unexpected elements. So now, uh, 2023 transportation facts and performance measures. Um, as you know, our goal is zero traffic deaths or severe injuries by 2035. Sadly, last year, three people died and six people suffered severe injuries and crashes on Alameda streets. Um, thinking about general trends, we can look at rolling five-year averages uh, for traffic fatalities and severe injuries by mode. So starting with that average in 2015, the um, people on bikes, people on motorcycles, generally trending downward. Also, people walking, except it has kind of flatlined. Those averages have flatlined in the last several years. But that's in a time when pedestrian deaths have been spiking nationwide. So even holding steady feels is, is counter to the trend. But at the same time, Concerningly, we have had, you know, between that average in 2015 and, and the average for last year, a rise in deaths and severe injuries for people in motor vehicles. All that said, our um, rate of traffic fatalities, you know, per population is still lower than Alameda County and lower than California significantly, and is further apart than it was back in 2015. The second year in a row, we studied where the traffic enforcement stops occurred based on our high entry corridors. And for the second year in a row, it's been about three quarters of traffic stops. So the police department is really prioritizing our most dangerous streets. We got 433 street safety concern reports last year. These are self-reported data, so it can be skewed, but we really did use them for planning and design. Um, so we appreciate all the people who have put effort into submitting those. Bus and ferry ridership did increase. Bus ridership increased less than ferry ridership last year, but it is, you know, getting healthier. Um, and then, of course, our most common, nearly half of all the bus rides occurred on uh, 51A line. 
And Rochelle Wheeler is gonna take this next couple slides. Thanks, Lisa, and good evening to your souls and transportation commissioners. Rochelle Wheeler, Senior Transportation Coordinator. Um, so I, um, I'm gonna report on the active transportation plan. This year we did our first um, performance measures report. The plan was adopted at the end of 2022, and so we have a full year now, 2023, to report on. Um, the plan in um, Table 11 has uh, 16 different um, performance measures with um, most of them, but not all, have baseline numbers and targets that we're trying to reach. And so the um, performance measures report that you have as an attachment to the annual report has um, reporting on 12 of those performance measures. The other four um, are um, dependent on data that's collected at longer intervals, so we don't yet have anything to report there. Um, so these are just some highlights of those, uh, those the first year of our performance measures. So between 33 and 45% of the active transportation improvements and the programs and activities that we're doing do fall within our equity priority areas, um, which is a pretty significant number for 2023. Uh, we added 3.3 miles of new bikeways um, last year. That brings our total to 57 total miles of all types of bikeways, which includes 22 and a half miles of low stress facilities. So those are separated bike lanes and um, multi-use pathways. Um, we have goals around um, performance measures around um, schools participating in our countywide safe routes to schools program. And all but one school is participating um, and signed up, um, which is awesome. Um, and we had nine events or campaigns that were offered either by the city or its contractors or the Countywide Safe Routes to Schools program that were really kind of, you know, citywide and um, focused on active transportation. Most of those were focused on, on biking, several of them on walking. Um, we have several performance measures to try to get at mode shift and how we're doing to try to move move the, you know, move the needle on getting more people walking and biking. Um, we don't have one perfect performance measure for this. Um, so we're kind of have to look at it like kind of from different angles. And so two of these that we um, reported on in this report are um, summarized the bike and pedestrian counts that are done at seven intersections by the Alameda County Transportation Commission every two years for their performance report. That's the table on the top right. Um, and so this is the data for those um, uh, for those seven intersections. Again, these are one count that was done uh, for two hours at a time at, at seven locations in the city. So obviously not comprehensive for what's happening all over the city, but it's a data point, so we're reporting on it. Um, and we do see that since 2016-17 to the most recent data in 2022, that we did have a 57% increase in the number of bikes counted, and that's um, predominantly because of the opening of the, um, looks to be because of the opening of the Cross Alameda Trail along Ralph Apizado, um and Atlantic, um, because two of the count sites are along that corridor. Um, there was also an increase in walking too, but then there were decreases at other locations, so that's showing us the minus 17% change in walking um, during that same period. And then we're reporting on the, um, the census data, American Community Survey data to be particular, 
be specific on percentages of people biking, walking, and driving alone to work. Uh, so the plan set some target percentages to get towards. Um, we're looking at three-year averages because we know, just like Lisa was showing for collision data, you know, things can kind of wobble up and down a little bit. So um, we are trending for biking, at least, in the right direction. Um, in 2022, uh, which is the most recent data, um, biking went up from 2.4. The average, the three-year average went from 2.4% to 2.6. Uh, people um, biking, to, biking to work, uh, walking went down a little bit. And then drive alone also went down. Um, so those are those are the stats. Um, there's more information um, in the attachment in the full annual report. So I'm going to kick us off on the um, what's coming up next in this year, um, and with one slide, and then Lisa will come back. Um, so for neighborhood greenways, that's something that we had intended to start last year, but we did pivot on. Um, but this year we will um, be doing outreach and begin construction for at least one neighborhood greenway. Um, we will try to do more if we can fit in more. And again, neighborhood greenways are roads where people biking share the road with people driving. Um, and the intention is to have um, to reduce and have a target number of um, or have the number of uh, vehicles and the speeds of those vehicles be below certain targets. And we do that through implementing um, raised thing, things like, these are some examples, raised crosswalks, mini traffic circles, speed humps, and, and flashing beacons. So um, pass it back to Lisa. Thanks, Rochelle. All right, we have already begun to construction projects on the Cross Alameda Trail this year, uh, the traffic signal, and crossing improvements at five intersections along the Cross Alameda Trail on Ralph Aposado Memorial Parkway and the Clement Avenue project, which is a two-way cycle track and various other improvements, traffic calming, ADA improvements from Grand Street to Broadway. We do expect to start construction on the Clement Ave Extension Tilden Way project this year, you know, pending that soil remediation, et cetera and then also the Cross Alameda Trail uh, connectors in Gene Sweeney Park. Um, and then, <laughs> this is all one slide, but this is quite a few really big things, starting off with after 10 years of planning plus and winning $15 million in grants, we do expect the, the Central Ave project to begin construction this year. We also will be restriping um, and adding park concrete barricades on Webster and Park, uh, constructing Grand Street from Shoreline to Otis, we expect to, and then um, pedestrian improvements at three intersections on McCartney, and then a batch of pavement resurfacing in the eastern part of the city. And then finally, um, for parking management this year, we plan to, you know, with that restriping on Park and Webster, we'll be bringing parking back to the curb, making it a little less confusing, and adding new color curb zones. Um, we will begin construction, constructing improvements at the Civic Center garage to improve security uh, and launch a mobile payment option for meters and lots, we expect to, and then we, uh, 
will plan to bring a ferry terminal parking pricing strategy and update to the one that you all looked at at the end of 2022 that considers whether to um, to pay for security, on-site security at the ferry terminals using the uh, revenues. So we'll plan to bring that to city council this year. And then if possible, begin paid parking at Seaplane Lagoon and or Harbor Bay ferry terminals. So that closes out our presentation. Plenty more information available in many places. And thank you very much. Thank you so much to all of our presenters. Um, I believe it's worth noting that the commission did re receive some written feedback. Um, and so now we're going to entertain public comment on any of the plans. I would ask speakers just to be specific if you are talking about one specific presentation or plan that's up for endorsement tonight, feel free to identify that. Do we have any speakers, Rochelle? Yes, uh, let's see, so far two hands raised. Okay. Um, first, uh, Denise Trepanier. Good evening. Good evening, Chair Souls and Transportation Commissioners. Um, I'm calling on behalf of BikeWalk Alameda to just elaborate on a couple of points from the letter that we submitted um, on this topic. If you clicked on the link uh, to our project tracker that we put in our letter, you saw that half the CIP projects that we had planned for 2023 were delayed. Um, we have a lot of ideas to get us back on track, but one suggestion involves the plans for the neighborhood greenways. The 2024 work plan that is presented tonight significantly scales back on what was called for in the active transportation plan. Instead of converting all of the slow streets to neighborhood greenways last year, this plan um, will convert only one next year, so or this year, I guess. Um, and we have to imagine that that will push out the remaining slow streets conversions and the building of the remaining neighborhood greenways. So that is going to delay and risk um, our low stress backbone that we had planned on implemented, which was a critical component of um, our climate and vision zero goals. Um, so instead, we'd like to see the um, all of the slow streets conversions this year and implement the balance of the neighborhood greenways next year. Um, but at the same time, um, we don't just want to, you know, ask staff to do more work. They're already, you know, doing incredibly work incredible work and hitting way above their weight with with regional projects that they're that they've taken on such as the bike ped bridge and the water shuttle that you heard about in staff's presentation but um clearly something isn't working and we're falling behind on critical plans that we need to meet our climate and safety goals so we're asking you and the rest of city the rest of city leadership to figure out why we're falling behind. If, if we're um, fully staffed now and we feel confident that we're fully resourced, then you know we would question why the plans are being further delayed. So we'd like to see the plans to make up the work and keep us on track. Um, so let, you know, I think we need to understand what else is needed to make that happen. Um, that's it, thank you. Thank you. We had a second hand. Yes, we have Alex Spear. Good evening, Alex. 
Hello. Um, greetings. I'd like to thank you all for um, doing such a great job. That was a really informative presentation. Um, I'd just like to give a plus one for the Bike Walk Alameda comments and um, support Denise. That, yeah, I would like our uh, greenways to be implemented sooner rather than later because I don't like um, getting run over by cars. That's usually considered a negative. Um, so I would appreciate if you could do as much as possible to speed up um, things that involve um, pedestrian safety for kids going to school and um, for people and bikes. Thank you. Thank you. There are no more hands raised. All right. Um, I will open it up for discussion among the commissioners. Um, I'm going to start with the um, general plan and housing element comments on that first. And like I said, if we could just be really clear about, um, about our comments and what we feel like really needs to either eventually be added to the reports. There won't be time for that to actually happen to produce a new version or come back to us before it goes to city council, but those comments can be elevated with the item at that meeting. So help, help me help you by being succinct about what you want to see. <laughs> any, any comments to start us off on the general plan? Commissioner Dare Abrams, please go ahead. Uh, ju just uh, one question for um, Mr. Buckley. Um, I, I know this is outside of transportation, housing. Um, program 8, the affordable uh, housing um, item, I, my understanding was that included some pretty specific goals around a local uh, funding measure for um, building more affordable housing. Um, and so I, I know there are residents and local advocates who would be curious to hear um, either the status of that or uh, staff's um, uh, strategy or thoughts. Um, I'll through the chair, um, I could answer that question. Um, so we uh, don't have a particular uh, work plan item for that. Um, given that there's a regional measure that's being considered, um, we're sort of tracking that and uh, similar feedback that we got from the planning commission uh, or planning board uh, on Monday evening was uh, maybe um, pulled back and wait for more specific direction from the city council after that regional measure is considered. Thank you. Okay. Thank is you. Is there really a question on that one? No. Thank you. Commissioner Whitesey. Hi, Steve. I'll also go outside my lane on housing. Um, so you mentioned that you're updating the review process and hoping to shorten the timeline. And I was curious what the city or what you see as a goal for what's the actual timeline going to look like? How many months is this supposed to take when things have actually gotten to a point of improvement? Yeah, well, we, you know, we start with the Permit Streamlining Act. So, you know, we have a 30 day review period um, for each um, submittal and resubmittal. Um, we certainly try to beat that. So that's one thing is to cut the 30 days down to something more like two or three weeks. Um, but more importantly, I think it's, it's more um, about things like the subdivision ordinance where we're taking things that used to have to go through 
uh, the planning board and the city council and um, trying to uh, delegate more things to the planning board so that um, really whole months are taken off of the review process um, so that, um, you know, there's, there's a little bit more, um, uh, uh, you know, sort of a shortcut, I guess you could call it, but really it's a delegation of that decision-making for some of the um, more straightforward projects. And also the um, objective design standards, I think will really speed things up because people can sort of design to the cookbook. Um, so I don't have specific timelines for you, but we see several measures that are sort of aligning. So it sounds like you, you see a reduction in time as success, but you don't necessarily have a, we see a 50% reduction as success. There's no real goal on that yet. I'm gonna stop right there for just a second. I appreciate you graciously solving some of our curiosities, um, but the Planning Commission, I would invite my sure. fellow commissioners sure. to field these at the Planning Commission and not use this form to be able to answer some of those questions. It's not agendized and it, I don't wanna be providing information um, and it's a subset to something that's not within our, our bailiwick. Apologies, Steve, sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> but. Thank you for, for giving us a little bit more information that, that people may have um, had uh, questions about. Did you have anything else, Commissioner Whitesey? Okay, Commissioner Suthanthera. I don't know whether this is uh, still outside of our purview, but um, <laughs> I'll stop ask, you if it is. Um, okay, um, <laughs> I'll post the question and then you can decide. So um, in the last cycle, um, we were not able to meet uh, the affordable housing unit uh, target. So what was the impact for not meeting the target. Are you asking if, if cities don't meet their RENA goals? Yeah, what, so, so, yeah, what was the impact or outcome? That's uh, a very complex answer um, because of how RENA works and how prioritization for funding and other things of how cities perform in housing. So I'm gonna ask to take that offline as well, if that's okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I was in the middle of it, but then this particular um, question I always had, so I will, I, I don't, will ask I don't, you, I, I'll, I'll I don't ask know this. After. I've asked this and had many conversations about it in 10 years, and I still don't have a straightforward answer, but it is, it, it does relate to what kind of funding you become eligible for and um, cities that keep up with RENA goals and what the state mandates um, are usually in a better position as far as I know, but sure. there are, I'm sure, much more official guidelines on that. <laughs> Any other comments about the general pan? I just had a couple, mainly because I've been here for a long time, and so I was here when we had the general plan update before it had a mobility element, and so we were dealing with a lot of things in the city that were trying to piece together land use and transportation that hadn't thoroughly been thought through. So what I saw in the update I just want to commend the city that, one, what we've moved forward with is really kind of staying the course and being really consistent, mapping to those performance measures and the criteria of what our goals are. So all of these plans have really started to integrate with each other. Um, Robert Vance did a lot of work on that as far as being able to understand how the mobility element tied to other plans. And that was a lot of really hard work that was done. And I think ultimately as we look at the new RENA goals, we now have kind of that framework to build more sustainably and do things in a really smarter way. And so 
I look forward to really boring updates of us just doing what we said we were going to do um, in the plan in future years. Um, that was my only comment on the general plan mobility element piece. So I didn't hear anything that we need to take up to city council on that one, Lisa. Nor I. Okay, second one was the CARP update that Danielle gave. Were there any discussion points on that? Any comments on what was provided by staff in your packet? Or any questions or any um, clarifications? Commissioner Whitesey? Hi, Danielle, so I have a question for you. Um, so my, my little job is to get people to make low carbon choices also, but I'm gonna ask the opposite question. So part of the CARP is trying to get um, to reduce our carbon emissions in a variety of ways. And the other part of the CARP is to, to build in resiliency when, when and if, God forbid, that doesn't work. And so could you give us a sense of how much of staff time, how much of the money available is spent on one versus the other? Because one is a, to be blunt, a problem we cannot fix alone, no matter if we could stop carbon tomorrow, it wouldn't matter. Like we need everyone else to do the same thing. Whereas the other one, building in resiliency in terms of infrastructure is a lot easier, something we can deal with and probably see shorter term success. So can you give us a sense of how much money goes to each of those things? How many hours go to each of those things? Sure. So um, thanks for the question. Um, so we, uh, we have this new sustainability division that's in uh, PBT. Um, and I am full-time manager of that in that, um, in that division. Um, so my, and then um, we have about a seven, so the 70% FTE that um, the transportation division lost has been gained in the sustainability division. Um, it's actually 60% in sustainability. Um, she is focusing, Gail Payne is focusing on uh, sea level rise adaptation with 60% of her time. Um, I would say, uh, and then we additionally have a Civic Spark Fellow. Um, those are full time positions, uh, but 10 month limited term, and then we get a new one um, each year. We are hoping to upgrade that position in coming years to a, to a permanent full time position, um, but that'll be dependent on city council approval. Um, and then my time is fairly evenly split, I think, between greenhouse gas reduction and, and adaptation work. Can I ask a follow-up to that? So it sounds like we've actually been pretty effective in terms of getting you guys, other people, getting grants that help infrastructure, like big, you know, you put in some grant time and you get blank millions of dollars that fix things. Is shifting more of that towards, more of your time, more of other people's time towards grant writing, towards trying to get big ticket spends on things, is that something the city has considered or, sorry, or your department has considered? We've definitely been going after a lot of grants, but of course when you win grants, you have to implement grants so <laughs> <Fair> <laughs> you have to do the work. Um, so we are you know, limited in, in how much we can bring in and we've just gone after a, quite a large grant. Um, we'll be seeking some other grants to cover some of the match funding that this goes with that FEMA, a very large FEMA grant. Um, but yeah, we have been tried to be very aggressive with grant funding, um, and sometimes that can be a challenge too when you're successful. Thank you. Yeah. Commissioner Sutanthira. Hi, Daniel. Thank you for the update. Um, it's um, um, it's good to know all the work going on, um, especially on the adaptation side, um, living in Bay Farm, and I've heard from many people about how long they can live, what will happen to their houses, 
and all that. So in that context, um, how are we doing public outreach of all this good work that uh, the city is doing? I'm sorry, how are we doing with the what? public outreach? Public outreach. Um, so we have just begun kind of initiating these projects. They really, we hired a consultant team, a really fantastic consultant team, um, just towards the end of last year. And um, we've been doing, they just completed their existing conditions analysis, and now they're starting to look at alternatives. Um, so we're planning our very first round of outreach for those three adaptation projects um, around May and June. Um, and then there'll be another round uh, later in the fall, I believe. Um, so we are, we're coming, uh, hang tight. Um, we do have, we were able to direct um, 300,000, over $300,000 in the grant funding we received towards, um, I think it's five community-based organizations. Um, here locally, we have um, REAP Climate Center and CASA, the Community Action for Sustainable Alameda. Um, so they're funded to do some really grassroots um, outreach and we're really excited about some of the things that they have planned. Good to know. So you said uh, there is a OAAC committee. Uh, who are the members? Um, so we have uh, a very large group of kind of like everybody who's interested in learning about sea level rise, and that's about 100 people. But it represents um, uh, cities, cities of Oakland and Alameda, um, county representatives, uh, Caltrans, East Bay Regional Parks, the Port of Oakland, um, the uh, public agencies, public agencies, okay. and then um, community-based organizations and some private citizens. Then we have a steering committee, and um, the steering committee is really those agencies that are like critical stakeholders. Um, I'm not sure I'm going to get this quite right off the top of my head, but we have the city of Alameda, the city of Oakland, Caltrans, the port, um, East Bay Regional Parks, the San Francisco Water Board. Um, and then um, our five community partners. Okay. So one final question is, um, we mentioned that public EV charging, you are, uh, you are just uh, completed a procurement and uh, the vendor or whoever you are um, selecting will start the implementation soon. So what's the time period? Um, we have not determined we, we've just received the um, the, solic the proposals, and oh, we have okay. they haven't been reviewed yet. So we haven't determined if there's going to be a successful vendor or not, okay. um, and, and what the time frame is. But we're hoping that they'll be able to well, that we'll we will be able to select somebody, and that they will um, get into contract in the next few months, and then they can start evaluating sites for feasibility. Okay. Thank you, Commissioner Dare Abrams. Um, so I'll just preface this question comment by saying I'm becoming a broken record with people I know talking about the bipartisan infrastructure law is releasing 1.2 trillion with a treat a T trillion with a T dollars and you know I certainly don't know its intricacies but I know it's like a once in a generation opportunity and I'm so the the question I'm coming at is this that came out since the original carp and I'm kind of wondering if I imagine the CARP is sort of more bottom-up analysis of what does Alameda need. I'm curious to know if either the CARP rewrite or city staff see any value in kind of doing more the top-down of like, now we know there these pots of funding are out there and you know we don't want to get it for needless projects, but in terms of if if there's any value in kind of going more the opportunistic angle of what are, What's the universe of funding potential, um, and 
and pursuing it, or at least meshing that with the bottom-up analysis. Yeah, I think there's definitely merit to that. Um, one of the, so we have gone after some of that funding, like we went after the charging and fueling infrastructure grant, you know, it's a national competition, um, so very challenging. We weren't successful in the first round, and some of our other um, applications. We also went after one of, I think it was a infrastructure bill for grant for urban forestry. Um, we also weren't successful in that one. Um, many of the federal grants are focusing on the Justice 40 communities. We do not have any here in Alameda. One of the reasons we were, we think we could be successful with our FEMA application is that they've designated um, community disaster resilience zones and the Oakland Airport is one of them. It's like one of a handful in the state. Um, and because we get flooded from the Oakland Airport, kind of good for us, so we could, <laughs> we could maybe not so good for us, but um, we could really leverage that prioritization to include Bay Farm Island in, in that funding application that wouldn't have been prioritized otherwise. Um, but I, it's, I think it's definitely a worthwhile exercise. And then one other grant we were successful, well, we got a block grant, the um, Energy Efficiency and Community Block Grant, EECBG, had an allocation for us. We were able to um, get funding for some electrification measures at the Veterans Memorial Hall. But, Great. Well, th yeah. thank you for that context. And also, it, again, like with the um, San Leandro Bay application, it's great to sort of see when it is possible to work with, you know, and bring neighbors in Oakland along. Mm -hmm. Any other comments? Any others? Um, I just had a couple. I, I, the grant thing, I, I know about the Justice 40 piece, but I feel like the, both regionally as well as nationally, that the planning staff have been really good about selecting grants. Because <laughs> grant writing costs a lot of time and money and resources, and I think this last year, really being smart about, if you, if you don't get a grant, that's just sunk costs that you don't get back. And so I think when I see regionally other cities that are like Berkeley and other places that we're really, we really are punching above our weight as far as being selective about what we go after, making sure it's competitive and making sure it's well-timed. Um, again, kind of voice from the past, the CARP when we approved it initially was, um, there was a lot of discussion about how bold it was, how realistic it was, and I just want to say that I appreciate that we we really tried to thread the needle on that and stay bold but realistic. And I think this last report proves that we really hit it right, that we really did make substantial progress, especially with a lot of the partnership with AMP. And so, again, just seeing that kind of continuance as you do those small tweaks and revisions, look at other potential opportunities of what may be competitive now that there's other um, funding out there. Uh, so the, those were just my comments. That I, I think the realistic but bold was something that was a really, we had not seen that in some um, neighboring cities. We saw really just kind of out of the park ones that didn't really have the level of benchmarking that we were putting in place. And I think that there should just be an appreciation for that technical rigor that really keeps the city accountable, keeps us better accountable to our, our funding partners locally and federally. Um, so I just wanted to mention that to you as far as the report and showing that we, we did good work and we're continuing to do good work. 
Thank you for being with us, Danielle. All right, and our last one, which was a combination of the transportation package of plans, I'll call it. And if there are any comments on those um, that we would like to push up towards city council. <laughs> Don't be scared. Commissioner oh, well, Dear Abrams, please. I'm just glad that I always have to go first now. It's great. <laughs> And I'm just, again, going to echo the point everyone's making. And I really do believe it, that the city punches above its weight, staff punch above their weight, uh, have really um, you know, uh, talented staff, but are working with limited resources. So um, I thought I would just run through the tables in, in that order with my thoughts. And then I wanted to circle back around to the uh, neighborhood greenways in particular and, um, and staff resources at the end to ask some general um, kind of high-level points there. Um, on the the fatal crash and response program, um, I'm. It's really great to see the city successfully delivering uh, on that. Um, I, again, non-expert. I'll say it again. I'm not a traffic engineer, but um, I do think like this, and I'm not familiar with the context of the Lincoln uh, crash, but. You know, we're we're seeing situations with um, large vehicles, high speeds, and so, as a non-expert, I would still encourage the city to consider harder materials, um, to still think in quick build terms, um, but um, you know, to think of what can be deployed uh, to really handle the forces at play in those situations. Um, but the fatal crash response program, you know, it looks like it, it's off to a successful response or start and it would be great to you know to be able to continue to point to that each year hopefully in smaller numbers but as bringing to bear you know solutions that really will reduce those specific situations in the future um i thought the line item about the bus stop bench installation could get even more press i think that's a great um, success. I think it interacts well with the city's um, free transit passes um, and it deals with the reality of, you know, AC can put out guidelines, but they don't have money for um, amenities. So um, the, I, I would, you know, if there's money to do that in the future, it looked like it was a success the first year. If there isn't money, it's still worth calling attention to because I see I walk on park a lot and I see folks actually using those benches at those stops. Um, um, way down at the end on uh, uh, Caltrans, Broadway, Otis Doolittle, um, I know they're a bit of a black box on this, but um, if Caltrans would like to come to the Transportation Commission, um, I think the both commission members, but also residents would just have some input and questions to ask of that. Um, I know the totally different bureaucracy, but to people who live along that road, it is, you know, it is their road. And um, um, and finally, on the, the VZ report, um, uh, I'll 
I, I believe, Lisa, this is your responsibility, so I can say thank you in particular for, I think, this level of detail of collecting. I know these things come out of police reports that are closed to the rest of us civilians. Just like shining a light on ages, the types of vehicles, like this helps. It's not just for the professionals, but I think for the public, it starts to identify patterns. Um, and like, I, I just appreciate being able to look at this. It doesn't change the situation, but I think it helps connect the dots. Um, if it's possible to include make and model, um, I think that would reveal that, you know, the city has a vested stake in changing the, the situation with Kias and Hondas in particular, um, that I think they're responsible for at least one of these. And so, um, but um, this level of granular detail, I know I'm kind of wonking out on it, but it, it helps actually again, and getting same as my comment on the using harder materials for quick build in fatality responses is just getting back to the source of what the problem was in particular and targeting it specifically. Um, I, I wanted to circle back finally to neighborhood greenways. Um, I, and again, in the context of, you know, this is an awful lot for a small staff to handle. The two kind of questions I wanted to pose to staff either, very curious to hear thoughts, but also if it's if these aren't questions you all have considered just for your own further discussion. Um, I think there is, as a non-expert, I think there is potential for these things to make progress using quick build materials. And I'd be curious to hear if staff have considered pros or cons to a next generation past the barricades, you know, things like you know, there's some jurisdictions that do um, hay bale mini traffic roundabouts. It's not, you know, gonna stop a car, but it, it gets feedback and it acculturates um, uh, drivers. Um, and that type of thing would be a way to, you know, get at the details. Like if you've got a, a manhole cover in the middle that, that the I don't even know what those vehicles are called, the big giant um, uh, sewage um, uh, uh, truck thingy, sorry. <laughs> we know what you're talking about. Yeah, it needs to get to, but like I'm just, you know, even if it's just hay bales surrounding that, then you can bring out the staff to say, hey, do we have the clearance? And, you know, like get at some of the thornier cross-departmental coordination sooner rather than, than later. So question one of two is, are there merits to doing quick build rather than permanent build for neighborhood greenways? And question two is, if, if it is worth doing permanent build, how can city staff choose that one corridor that you're gonna propose to do very strategically and do it for specific reasons? And I would say if you all do think it's worth continuing with permanent build, I would, I would consider coming up with a strategy and criteria to bring to city council in this document that says, it may or may not name the corridor, but just say, we hope to pick a corridor that meets this criteria. It might be a bit of an experiment 
or we're going to avoid some of the slow streets that meet these criteria because we can't tackle that. And so the reason for these thoughts is that like, I wanna turn, do my part to turn some of the public comment, like the bike walk folks who are you know, asking for progress into saying, maybe you can only do one corridor permanent build, or you could do more quick build, pick wisely, and then if it is permanent, pick something that reduces uncertainty and moves the program forward and puts it on a really sound footing to know how it's going to proceed. Um, so I've gone on at length. Um, I, I would be, um, thank you for taking this feedback on all the other items if they're if their thoughts staff would like to offer at this point on neighborhood greenways in particular, I would be very glad to, to hear more there. Yeah, thank you for your comments and uh, the questions. Um, uh, yeah, definitely we would be starting with quick build. Um, so, um, you know, to, to, to have something on the street um, you know, to design that, have the budget for it, get it designed, you know, do public outreach, um, do the design, get um, public feedback, um, and then have the budget and then put it out to bid. Like we, we would need to do quick build to start. And I really think that that is a good way for us to test out kind of newer devices, probably not the hay bale version, just cause that's a little too impermanent kind of more like the tactical urbanism kind of side of things. Um, but, you know, using rubberized curbs and things like that, things that where we don't have to, um, you know, spend, you know, potentially $50,000 at an intersection to put in a traffic circle, or maybe it's 30, but, you know, something, you know, quite high with the idea that then we could kind of build from there. That's That's the way I see it at this point. Okay, th thank you for that, mm -hmm. Michelle. And uh, and so just to echo, I'll just pass on the feedback of if if staff would consider criteria for which um, neighborhood greenway would be worthwhile to start with or which would not, that, that would be my concrete feedback I'd pass on. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you, Chair. Thank you. So um, do you, the, the comment that you just made at the end is what we would offer up for thought to city council? as far as asking staff to consider quick build alternatives on specific corridors to advance greenways? Or is that, Pardon me. Or is that Maybe I have the direction wrong <laughs> here. Is, are we offering our feedback to staff for the final version they're submitting to? Okay. Yeah, that's why they can't, there's, there's, this is going to council and so there's not gonna be time for revisions and so oh, yeah, if it's yeah, something for staff yeah. to consider in the future or for staff to bring up as potential revisions at the time or to just elevate those as comments from the Transportation Commission while they deliberate the plans. Uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I'll defer to staff on this but yeah. I just wanna offer this as concrete thought kind of in the vein of like like the public comment from bike walk okay. earlier and my own watching of the progress that that just offering this whether it's it takes the form of edits in this doc or 
a who, call out about the program to council, but just that that a, a strategic choice is being made in order to to put the program on a good footing. Okay, so I think that it's a um, consideration for staff for that discussion to possibly inform expediting certain corridors or prioritizing or at least identifying um, greenways to be pulled forward in faster progress this year or maybe next year depending on when that work falls within the rest of the work plan that has, staff has on their plate. Is that in, okay. <laughs> Thank you for finding words. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to be faithful to your intention. Other comments? Commissioner Whitesey? I think this is a comment that would fit under uh, how you described, which I thought was very well put. Um, you mentioned in there that you're considering implementing pricing for parking at the new seaplane. And we had that discussion probably a year ago. And I was curious if, so in that previous discussion, we had talked about the pricing we based on the percent of occupancy of parking spots. And I was curious if we have actually reached the point that we would have originally set for percent occupied, that would be some number on that chart because I know that the seat, I know the ferries are popular and the parking lot seems to be full-ish, but I was curious what the minimum number we set, whatever, a year and a half ago was, and if we've actually are back to that number at this point. Because that seems important since that was our original goal of how we were gonna price it. Um, we need to do some occupancy counts, so I can't answer that for sure. I, I bet we're getting close. I think we're getting close. Um, yeah, because I have I've heard they are filling up and one of us, Rochelle, went out there and took a look at one of them, so. Okay. Yeah. Can I ask a couple other questions that I think also fit in this guidance? So, estuary shuttle, I'm excited, we're all excited, that's great. Something that I think this commission has talked about a lot, uh, especially Vice Chair Ewan and I, is great we have a boat, and now we gotta get people to the boat, so what's being done to highlight that the boat exists outside of people that are transit nerds like us and are on the city emails and all that like we need to let them know the buses the boat is there we also have to let bikers from all the various great bike trails we have be able to get over to there we need to have a safe pathway to the boat i want this boat to be really successful because it's named woodstock and i live in woodstock and that's awesome <laughs> but i really i think we need to figure out how to make it so that people can get there both safely and also know they can get there safely and know that the thing exists so i just was curious what the other auxiliary plans are around this this kickoff of the boat um yeah thank you for those questions um regarding getting the word out um our facebook posts and instagram posts about this water shuttle are the most liked and commented on <laughs> uh, posts that the city has ever had so we get a lot of attention we've had a lot of articles that have gotten written and so um so that that word is getting out somewhat that way but we are also we just started you know that this this is a multi multi-step project with lots of partnerships and agreements and many steps and we have just started meeting we're working um, very closely with WIDA on our marketing campaign we're I'm really excited that um, the head of WIDA's marketing is very involved in this very excited he brings a ton of expertise to this area of marketing. 
Um, and so we're just finalizing our logo and there's gonna be, this is kind of like we're, we're just starting that effort. So there will be a lot of promotion that will be done and including you know, on the Alameda side and then also trying to get it out to wider audiences. So um, that's the getting the word out part. Um, and then um, in terms of access to the water shuttle, um, we have been, um, in terms of walking and biking there, um, I think on that front in terms of making physical improvements by the time this water shuttle starts this summer, um, I don't think we're gonna have, you know, we don't have additional projects that are going in on the ground beyond just all the many other projects that you've seen in the work plan. Um, but it's something that's on our radar. It's something we'll be tracking. And if we need to be, you know, making specific improvements, um, you know, that we can get on the ground quickly, I think we would be considering those. And it's something that I do have on my list of, you know, things to consider in terms of the access improvements. And then I think, you know, we definitely would be wanting to be, um, uh, you know, marketing and letting people know about how they can get there. And, you know, if you're driving, if you're walking and biking, which is really what we want people to do, like these are the routes you would take. This is, this is you know, how you would get there. Can I, can I make one suggestion? Yes. I, I'm, I'm a realist. I, I know you're not going to build a bunch of new bike lanes over there. I wish we could. We just can't do that quickly and cheaply enough right now. There are some people that are not really on the internet and they're not really, they're, <laughs> they're not on emails, but they actually look at signs. And so I yeah. think something that really the city should consider, you guys should consider is just signs, just like boat this way. Because if you're on Apposado and you see boat this way, that is a really intriguing sign because there, mm -hmm. that wasn't there yesterday and now there's a boat to get to. So. I guess I would suggest that as like almost a minimum level of infrastructure and it sort of toes the line of uh, promoting this thing and also infrastructure itself. So I, that's something you could look at. Um, I'm gonna ask my yep. last two things really, or make my other two comments really quickly. Uh, in the report, there was a stat that uh, one of the goals, unless I misread it, one of the goals for 2030 was to keep driving loan trips either stable or on the general downward trajectory. And I was genuinely surprised that we would consider a percent of drivers as a loan as stable as success. And I was curious where that came from because we were putting a ton of time into getting people to not do that exact thing. And it seems like if we're doing that, not, and again, as I read the chart, it's not number of drivers, it's percent of drivers. And so if we can't convince of the, a, an appreciable percent of drivers, with all the things we're doing, that's that's not success in my mind. So I was curious where that number came from as defined as a, as a goal, unless I misunderstood. Um, yeah, I think the idea was that we would, you know, we wouldn't want the number of drivers. So, so that's that's a good point. Maybe that was not thought through well, because yeah, with the idea is we don't want, you know, as the population increases to have, you know, to keep that number steady. So um, that's a point well taken. Yeah, yeah, percent, I, percent is probably the wrong number, but per, like if you had the same number of drivers, quite frankly, that actually is success given how many yeah. people we're about to add. Yeah. Last question, maybe you can't answer this. Great success, you got, I believe it was 17 of 18 public schools to sign up for the safe routes to schools, that's great. Who's the school that didn't sign up? Name names. <laughs> That's uh, maybe there's a it's parent actually, watching right I now. I, I, I would have to double check, but I'm pretty sure it's Asti, the technical high school. Okay. Yeah. 
Say that one more time in case there's and parents listening. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Commissioner Weiss is going to make a visit. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, smaller. I'm going to walk school them to school. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. School, and they do take uh, a lot of their classes at the community college and at other places, so they're not as place-based as other schools. Okay. <laughs> I also wanted to add, if it's all right, um, in terms of outreach for the water shuttle, it was the third most commonly, uh, the third most, most unique page views of our transportation pages, and that includes parking citations and enforcement is number one, so if you <laughs> want to eliminate own that. Instagram account. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> and we are uh, implementing time-limited parking and signage to help the public know which spaces are public and which aren't in that little spot near the park. Great. Thanks all. Great. Vice Chair Ewan. Yeah, I, I just wanted to, um, along with others, commend the, the city staff on all of these really great reports, and thank you for pulling this together. It's really amazing to see all the work that we, as a as a small city continue to do and all the hard work our staff is doing and continuing to do. And I'm really amazed by all of this, even with uh, staff sort of shortages and, um, you know, and other constraints that you all are dealing with. I think just building off of the water taxi and the, um, the very cute looking boat, I'm very excited about that. I also live on the West End. I live in Alameda Landing, so this is something I'm going to be using like multiple times a week. I can just, I'm, I'm so excited for, I am, but I am also curious, have questions around, um, again, like how people are gonna access this. I am sort of concerned about like the amount of traffic and parking that will probably be coming to my neighborhood and where people are actually gonna be parking. I mean, we have loads, I mean, there is parking with the, um, the Safeway Target, like, uh, you know, that, uh, shopping center, but I can see that potentially filling up and um, and sort of bleeding over into residential parking. There's parking for the the park, the Bullhole Immigrant Park, which is very tight, and so I can just imagine that's all going to be filled up with people trying to access the water taxi, and then people who are trying to access the park and the playground won't have, you know, there's going to be just pe people competing for very limited things, and so obviously we want people to walk and bike and take transit to there. So I think, again, the coordination of how to access that um, water tax is going to be really, really critical in getting the word out. The other thing that I wanted to sort of drill down, and I feel like I said this in another meeting, is, is sort of the, the schedule for the water taxi. Um, I think last spring when we were thinking of doing the pilot of the pilot, I know that didn't pan out, but um, the schedule that was sort of proposed there felt very limited to me in terms of like it was three or four days a week for like two hours a day or something and I I also want this to be super successful and but knowing it's a pilot and that we have to see results in order for it to continue I really want to push the city to think about a robust schedule that will actually meet the needs of the people that are trying to access this estuary getting across the estuary um, I know you haven't, I haven't seen a schedule, I don't know if it's been published yet, but I am wondering what are your think, what are you thinking about the schedule and? We think a lot about this yes. almost Thank daily. You. We talk about it, we're getting closer um, with draft schedules. Um, we, just to step back for a minute, so our, our operator is the SF Bay Ferry or WIDA. Um, they contract with Blue and Gold um, I am learning way more than I ever thought I would know about 
<laughs> union contracts and how union labor works. And so there are so many factors that go into trying to develop a schedule. But at the high level, I w so we're trying to basically get as much service as we can out there and to start with a more robust service and see what kind of sticks and what people like. And then if there's certain dead periods, then maybe we pull back rather than starting small. So that's kind of, that's our overall strategy. Um, so the, uh, the uh, intention as of right now, and so it's not locked in, but I will say this publicly, is to have the service run five days a week for the first six months, um, Wednesday through Sunday. Um, so not Mondays and Tuesdays. Um, it would be operating for about 12 and a half hours each day. That would be the start and end period. But um, be aware that because, again, of the required lunch breaks, rest breaks, um, crew transfers, we're going to have two crews, which each have two pilot, two, two staff people. There's a crew transfer time. And then also we um, are having to um, potentially refuel the boat every day. And that's limited period. So then there's a down. So there will be multiple down times, kind of these breaks in the schedule, which we're really trying to minimize because we know that is not ideal. But again, we kind of have to work with one boat, limited funds. So that's that's the goal right now to start with. And just, just um, you know, we are, this is a pilot and we are want to learn a lot from this. And so this, we are always thinking about when we can iterate and when we'll be able to change and shift and like you know again we're limited in terms of how quickly we can do that especially working with union labor but the intention is that it's we're not going to just do the same thing for two years we're going to see what what's working and what's not and respond to that great thank yeah. you I'm sorry. Yep. does that schedule come to us at all before it gets implemented you, are you taking feedback on that or it's just going to roll in either way so i'm just curious yeah, I don't think we have the ability to take input before we launch. Uh, if you have any informal comments, I'm I happy have informal to hear it. comments right now, if that's okay. <laughs> um, one of the goals the of this chair. one of the goals of this thing <laughs> sure. should be to let people get back from Jack London and to Jack London later at night, which is fundamentally a problem between Jack London and Alameda. You cannot this is in part an entertainment shuttle, right? You want people to go out and have a good time and you want them to spend money on both sides of the estuary. Something that, you know, you, you mentioned the 12-hour running time. A 12-hour, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., especially on a Saturday, especially on a Friday, probably doesn't cover what we actually want it to do. Um, there's not going to be not necessarily a bunch of people going to work on Fridays early in the morning. There's going to be plenty of people, <laughs> ideally, taking this to go get beers in Jack London or to come over to Alameda to get beers and then go back. So it would be great to consider the tourist potential of this, quite frankly. And so I guess that would be one comment I would make. Um, yeah, later is better, at, if, if at all possible. I understand there's constraints on scheduling, but like this is not just a commuter shuttle in my mind. This is very much a, a trying to support the economies on both sides of the estuary. So I, hopefully that will be taken into consideration. Maybe that's like a special event evening as part of the pilot or something. <laughs> but I recognize the water transit's hard and it's expensive and it's very operationally difficult. And so I think having as much operational flexibility outside of the hands of governance to really show what a pilot can teach you that quickly is, uh, is a good move. Yeah. 
Vice Chair Yoon, did you have other comments? I, I did. I guess the uh, just building off of this, I feel like there's just a lot of a lot of thoughts around this. But like you know, because we used to have this, I don't know. Do we still have the Spirits Alley? The, the alley, the spirits. That was a limited time, so okay. Because I, I was think it would be really cool. I'm just going to say this, like having a spirits alley connect up with the boat, because I think it came over to Alameda Landing, and I don't know if there was some coordination of people who wanted to get over from Jack London, hop on um, a little shuttle and go over to Spirits Alley, and you know, to to um, Commissioner Weedsit's. Uh, comment like you know and and hang out and have beers or dinner or something over there and then come back over so i don't know if that's in the cards but it would be really cool like maybe in the summertime sort of launching with that in parallel i can definitely pass that along yeah <laughs> you guys have a way more exciting nightlife than me <laughs> <laughs> what did you have any other um comments on the rest of the plans or was that no. was that covering it that was it thank you okay Yes, please, Commissioner Johnson. Um, Rochelle, can you walk me through um, for the water shuttle the um, ADA in terms of wheelchairs? Yeah. And, and, and so do the, if you're in a chair, an electric chair, do you just roll on the boat? Is there infrastructure? Is there a ramp? You know, people who are visually impaired, you know, at BART they have the little things where you can walk with chairs. So how does that how does that work, or how will that work? Yeah, thank you, Commissioner Johnson. Another thing we think about and talk about all the time right now, um, we are about to pull the trigger on um, WIDA purchasing ramps that will be affixed to the docks for the whole pilot period. <coughs> so there we have our docks, but yeah, they're at a much different grade than where the boat is gonna be. So we, uh, we will have a ramp and a platform, and then there'll be a little throw ramp that will connect so you'll be able to roll right on with your bike, with your in your wheelchair, with your stroller. So you'll be able to roll right onto the boat, and we will have designated wheelchair areas. Okay. That's a you know essentially a requirement, and WIDA operates the, all their all their vessels like that. So uh, we'll have space for that. And will there be space for? Um you know, I live by a paved path and I see like traditional bicycles. I see those bicycles that sort of, they're basically like motorcycles and they're, they're, they're huge. So will there be a designated, designated, designated spaces for, for, for bicycles in terms oh, of? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we're, we're trying to uh, maximize the number of passengers that we can have on the boat and the number of spaces for bikes to park and also definitely very cognizant of the many different sizes that bikes come in these days, cargo bikes, trailer bikes, longer bikes. Um, so really trying to balance having um, the most space we can have for bicycle for bikes and also um, have that space be flexible and have we thought about like you know people who are boarding or or getting off like in terms of trash cans and recycle in terms of like potential for people who might litter or i'm just i'm just trying to well, now there's one that I need to add to the list. Thank you. Well, there's, you, you know, people, <laughs> no, you yeah, know, you go yeah, out and no, have a good, good time point. and you, 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 you just do things you don't normally do, you know, just mm -hmm. in terms of like the pedestrian flow and what people do, not what they say they won't do, but what they <laughs> actually do late at night yeah. and yeah. things. And so. 
Well, definitely on both sides, on the docks and in the promenades that are there, there are those kinds of facilities. There are restrooms, there are bike parking racks, there are bike lockers, there's okay. trash facilities, but um, you know, we can think about it. There might need to be something a little closer to where the vessel is. Okay. Thanks, Michelle. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks mm -hmm. for all your great work. I'm mm -hmm. telling you, Woodstock, popular, yeah. needs its own <laughs> like, share, subscribe, <laughs> commuter boat by day, party barge by night. Oh, Rochelle, real quick, and so you, you, you share souls just reminded me, so on, are you allowed to smoke on these on the, oh, the smoking. Yeah, I mean, like, Whoa. I'm just okay. curious. Um, we haven't souls. talked Thank about you. that. I don't think that would be allowed. Uh, no, I, I, I really doubt it. I, I mean, it's, it would be whatever the same regulations okay, that WIDA has. Okay, current WIDA fairy And stuff. also, people have asked about dogs. I'll just start now. Yeah. Uh, dogs are, unless they're service dogs, yeah. okay. will okay. not be allowed either. Okay. So. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Any other... Any other um, comments on the last set of plans before endorsement? Commissioner Sutanthira. Thank you for the report. It's very comprehensive, thorough, it concise. So um, kudos on that. Um, and it definitely reflects um, how even though you say you are lean in st staff, but how you are able to really pull off uh, big things. And so. Um, I would like to compliment joining my colleagues. Um, I have a few question, clarifying questions and uh, some comments. Um, just basic clarifying questions are, sidewalk maintenance program eliminates 4,000 trip hazards. And where did that number come from? How were you be so specific? What do you guys? <laughs> How can we say that we eliminated? That's mine. Good evening, Commissioners. Uh, Scott Wickstrom, City Engineer. Um, we do have a, a sidewalk program that's fairly well funded and pretty comprehensive throughout the city. Um, one of the things that the City of Alameda has done is it's basically accepted a responsibility for a lot of the urban street trees. And those trees, um, they're very mature in a lot of locations and have lifted up a lot of the sidewalks in the immediate vicinity of those. So those 4,000 locations are a combination of places where we remove and replace concrete but more often, the bigger, the larger number of that 4,000, probably close to 35 or 3,800, is where we actually plane uh, the, 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 the offset. So you can imagine that we often have a half inch or a three quarter offset at a particular joint where, where a tree root might be located. And there's a way that they could basically do a concrete saw cutting that will plane that and create it so it's a smooth, uh, or a smoother transition between the, the different height uh, concretes that basically removes the obstruction. So yeah, we, we have addressed 4,000 locations in the last year. Slightly prevented, probably, is yeah. the word? Uh, it, uh, winter, summer, it, okay. it happens all the time with the trees, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And um, so the other question is, um, you said city VITA agreement update um, as RM3 funding uh, is resolved, issue is resolved. So have we been, uh, there has the city been um, funding VITA? Yeah, the city has been using uh, TIF money from from uh, Bay Farm to subsidize WIDA's service at Harbor Bay. Oh, okay. Uh, and we are working on an agreement with them to phase that down and eventually away. Okay. 
And one of the ideas on the table is that they would use sort of what they would have normally gotten from us to pay for security on site, like human person security at the um, terminals while we ramp up paid parking to then be able to pay for that with um, parking revenues. Can I ask why we are thinking of security now? I mean, I know why, but I want to hear from you. You know, uh, it's a lot of it's coming from WIDA hearing from their customers. There have been some uh, auto thefts. Um, and I think that this is, yeah, bringing up the issue and making them. We did at, at some point have um, serve, uh, security at Main Street ferry terminal that we don't have now. The Harbor Bay has pass-throughs of security, I think four times a day, uh, even now. Um, who's uh, the, the central avenue project? Who's the lead? I mean, I understand the city is the lead, actually, but what is the role of Caltrans? What was the project, did you say? Central, central avenue. Central, uh -huh. okay. What's the goal of the project? No, no, no. Who, what is the role of Caltrans here? Because it, it is Caltrans road, um, right? It uh, is. Part of it, but... Uh, you Good evening, Commissioners. Robert Vance, uh, Deputy Public Works Director. Um, the, Caltrans has two roles for the project. Um, half the project is on city right-of-way. The other half is on Caltrans right-of-way. So um, they're um, acting as the approver for all the federal grants. So all the federal grants, that, uh, transportation grants, um, we have to go through the Caltrans process uh, for project approval. So that's the process that we're going through for Grand Street, for example. And then in addition, on Central Avenue, since it's also state right-of-way, they actually have to approve the design uh, for the project. So that's their other role for this. So they, and we have uh, completed that process. So uh, Caltrans has approved the design for in their right-of-way and issued the, the uh, what's called a right-of-way certification. So that allows us to um, go to the next step of the process, which is for them to approve um, the city to begin construction and use those federal funds um, to you know, build the project. So it's a kind of a step-by-step -step process. Was, was there any funding contribution at all from Caltrans? Um, they, well, it was all federal funds. Okay. So it, they're not, there's no state funds in okay. the project. Okay, okay. thank you. We, we use many different grant sources for that project to get, come up with the you know, $15 million in grants. Okay, thank you. So in terms of the payment condition, probably this is a question or comment for you. Um, I noticed that, I mean, it's 68 payment condition index from MTC reports, and it's really, it's, it's average. It's, you know, you see the um, better, or I forget the, what's the first one, and then good, and then uh, you come to fair, and then at risk, and poor, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. So. Uh, the average is 67 across the Bay Area, but uh, you know we are at 68. Uh, uh, is there any focused uh, effort to improve the payment condition? Because it's not—it's for all modes. It's not for autos, right? Autos only, and if you, it's for transit, and it's most importantly for bikes. If you have better and, and side, sidewalk is, is 
different, but it's still you know pedestrian usage and for bikes. So for it's for almost. So having um, payment condition in a in an average is. I think we need to have some focused effort. So, is there any thought about that? Um, well, Scott can um, probably talk more about pavements, but we, you know, we have been kind of in that good to fair zone for a little while now, and there there is a process. You know, every two years there's a new pavement assessment uh, citywide, um, and then every year we do a project. So um, Scott can talk a little bit more about the longer term plans, um, but I think what he's going to say is that it mostly comes down to funding. <laughs> yes, uh, thank you for that. I, um, that you may you were not on the, the transportation commission a few years back. No right? one was. I was just about to invite you for yeah. a minimum hour learning credit. Uh, that's right. <laughs> on pavement conditions and, and pavement replacement. Management, our pavement management program. <laughs> I love how I was introduced as the new city engineer, but I'm actually, which is much better than me being introduced as the old city engineer. <laughs> so I was here in 2018, and we I gave a presentation specifically about pavement management, and would be happy to do so again at some future time if invited back. Um, but to answer your question. Um, we look at basically network-wide uh, roads, and we really focus on two primary things. It's the age of the pavement, and then the, what's the pavement condition index. And that pavement condition index is a simplified number about you know, the type of distress at the pavement. Um, as we go through this, we have something that, um, we have annual reports that are done to, to, over, or to basically catalog the PCI over the entire network. And then they come up with three or four different scenarios about what it would take to, quote, maintain our PCI at 68, raise it up to 80, or basically keep, keep our existing funding levels. And really what we learn is that we need to spend probably six to seven million dollars per year on paving to maintain our PCI. And our budget has been on the order of four and a half to five million dollars per year. So we are um, treading water and we're doing the best we can. And I was just out today with uh, my coworkers uh, looking at our next year's paving plan. And I am ruthless about terms trying to spread that nickel as far as it could possibly go and be as efficient as we possibly can with the limited money we have. Um, ideally, we'd have two, three more million dollars per year. But um, unfortunately, it's a, it's a difficult trade-off because to fund that is to take money away from some other stuff. One of the things we have done, which um, we've really implemented a lot in the last few years, is working more closely with our transportation planners. After we've adopted the Vision Zero plan in our high injury corridors, we really know where um, we, we want to focus our, our improvements. So where do we want to improve bike lanes? Where do we want to improve crosswalks and crossings? And so when we do have that nice coincidence where we have a street that needs to be repaved, and it's one of these high injury corridors or other areas that we, we know needs improvements, we focus a lot of energy and attention on that. So there does get to be some little overlap and advantage for that. But ideally, um, we just need more money to, to, to really improve things. Thank you. Thank you. So question on the active transportation plan. Um, my thinking um, are, so we are an island. And uh, where we can really make um, and impact our needle, uh, move the needle more um, quickly, probably, um, is if we focus on the schools, school trips. Think about it, you know. I mean, now especially people are on hybrid work, so many people are not really commuting for sizable number of days. And uh, so are we, have, do we have any 
effort or any any plans for um, collaborating with the schools, mm -hmm. AUSD. You know, I'm thinking of middle school and high school. Imagine, I mean, most of their most of the students bike. You know, because right now many many parents drive the kids still and uh, get picked up probably because they're working from home and uh, I'm guilty. Um, because in the afternoon we are home and we can just drive with the phone on, um, uh, you know, in your ear and pick up the kid and go back. And I'm like uh, telling the kid, I biked when I went to school, but you should be biking, but then there is a convenience of parents at home. So, but basically, um, you know, is there is a possibility. I mean, we can make it. We can really do it, right? You know, we have middle schools and high school, and it's local. We don't have any pass-through trips. Think about it. Think about all other cities, right? And it's all we are within. Mm -hmm. And um, so if we make a concerted effort, we can make a difference, So, especially with school trips with kids. And uh, the car um, security, we don't need it. Because I do hear the in the school, um, high school campuses, uh, students' cars are getting broken into, so that that issue is there. So, but anyways, I want to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, so the countywide safe routes to schools program works with 17 out of 18 of the schools. Um, it really um, depends on how much um, energy there is coming from, you know, sometimes teachers, sometimes support staff, but often. You know the the parents and um, but at the at the uh, so the program is in uh, the middle schools all of the high school well the high school um, the high schools except for Asti as I mentioned but Encinal um, my understanding is um, at, well sorry at the high school level um, the work is much more directed towards directly working with the kids at the school because they're older and able to kind of generate ideas and speak to their peers. Um, and the countywide safe routes to schools program, um, I think it's been in the last maybe three or four years. They have a, a person now who just works with high schools, and so I think that's really helpful because it's a different kind of programming than what you want to see at the elementary schools. And so they've been, um, you know, they've been super successful. I know at Encinal High, not as quite as much at Alameda High, but. Um, they are working on programs to try to get students um, and then at the middle schools to try to get, you know, work with the parents and the students to try to get people to not drive to those schools. And they have different programs and promotions that they do around that. Yeah, I understand the, you know, the Safe Road to School program, but if there is any way that we can amp up um, with the middle and high school, if we can explore that, I especially in terms of modeship, we can really make a difference. Yeah. So. Great, thank you. The last question is, uh, in terms of parking management, uh, uh, there is a new color scheme or the paint scheme, parking management for the curb painting. Um, you, so is there any um, public outreach or awareness creation you are going to be doing, or just you paint the curb with different colors, and then there will be self-explanatory uh, markings. Is that how it is? How is it planned? The I, I, the um, public works before we stripe before we change curb colors. There's a process that public works always goes through with notifying people around the area. They're sent two notifications. One that you know there's been a 
recommendation and people have time to give feedback. And then the second is um, this is the plan and then people can, can, um, can object and actually bring it to this group. Um, so there's that level, but I think that you are, you are bringing up a good point that when we are putting in a bunch at once, we should do outreach more broadly. I do have a parking mailing list and then we have our general interest mailing list. So we'll definitely get information out there. You know, these curb zones have signs associated with them that, that people are, should be able to, I mean, they're, they should be pretty easy to understand, but um, I think it could be helpful not only to help them know what they're supposed to do, but know why we do them. Um, thank you for the report again. Uh, one minor comment is on the staff report. I mean, there is so much good work um, presented in the attachments, exhibits. In the staff report, when you bring out, you know, in the beginning, when you, when you start reading through, it talks about uh, what were the constraints and all that. That was the first bunch. And then you go to the, you know, accomplishments in the, in, uh, you know, as a second part, I would flip it. Um, so project the positive work that you have done first and then, you know, you can footnote all the constraints. Just, I mean, I would just, that's just a little comment on that. But uh, thank you, <coughs> great work. Thanks. Thank you. Any other comments? I just have a quick three. One, I would echo the Bike Walk Alameda on the um, bike share, which I've said before, but it just kills me to see people come over from San Francisco with helmets expecting bikes and then have to call an Uber because they don't know where to go. Um, and I think that the, you know, the convenience of bike lanes being limited to residents or people who can get their bike here is not the best use of our investment um, that, we've, that we've done. Uh, the second one is, um, you know, you can nitpick on the improvements and things that have changed. So I just wanted to offer, since you know I work in this industry and some of us do, or work in parallel industries, that just for context, that there the experiences of the the challenges that have been had this year that were pointed out is just pervasive across so many other industries. And the city is not immune to inflation, which affects everything from supply chains to labor. We, to find good talented resources and be able to compensate them, to get them in the right location when people move during the pandemic. It's, um, I don't think that's a, this is a, the city's not alone in those challenges. And so to be able to keep taking those steps forward with bids that we see that are 30% higher than we budgeted and things taking longer because of certain processes and agencies being strapped for those resources. So a permit that used to be six months is now nine months. And I recognize that those were listed in there, but it really does take a lot of tenacity to keep on like pushing the progress forward as you learn those things uh, when our programs are getting more mature and expanding. And then the last point, uh, because this is this is probably my last um, receipt of an annual plan for endorsement. Um, to speak again on the maturity that has happened in the last eight years is phenomenal. Um, when I came in, we were really kind of planning the plan. And in the last four years, we've really been delivering the plan. 
and I hope that the momentum that was created by staff, this body, and city council, but also regional partners like ACTC, MTC, Caltrans, that that is now kind of a, a, a cultural asset that we have to continue on that momentum and not have really big shifts and something that we're really showing that can work. And now that we have the, the metrics, as I mentioned, to really prove and tout those successes as we go forward. Um, so specifically just being so focused on delivery, being hugely competitive regionally and nationally for funding, um, taking on an insane amount of capital improvement projects for the size of our island and the population of our island, and um, also bringing in with full force really rapidly a focus on equity and public outreach. And I think if you look back at how much engagement was done project to project, but also on these plans, we've had a, a huge amount of public engagement, um, again, with that focus on that equity lens. And so I just, I, I would love for you to um, to your own horn at the city council on my behalf and uh, say that, you know, out of all the nitpicking that can be done in the, in the different stats, overall, it has been a huge, huge pleasure to be able to watch this you know, staff and city and plan mature to this point. Everything's written and it all makes sense and it all connects and so I hope that just that kind of continues. Um, so I just wanted to put a little cherry on the top of all the other comments that you've received tonight to close out that plan and ask for a motion to endorse. If we have one, I'll make the motion. I would like to endorse um, all of the plans that are listed under item 6B. By seconds. Vice Chair Ewan seconds. And we'll do a voice vote. All in favor say aye. 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 All opposed say no. Thank you. The motion passes unanimously. Good luck with the City Council meeting. We will take that to item 7, Commission Communications. Um, Vice Chair Ewan, I'm going to turn it over to you for you to make your yeah, I just wanted to share with my fellow commissioners that um, I've decided after a lot of thinking and thought um, that I will be stepping down from the commission. Um, March next month will be my last commission meeting, so I just wanted to let you all know that. And um, I guess I will be stepping down as of now <laughs> as uh, vice, vice chair. Okay, yeah. So. Yes, that, that's the process, and I will hand it over to. And I'll just say, I'll just save my farewells and gratitudes for next month, so I won't belabor that. But um, just to let you know, and I'll hand it over to you, Chair Souls. Yes, and we'll we'll make sure there's time on the agenda for that. And we appreciate your service, Vice Chair. And so, yes, she'll return next month as a commissioner, which means we will need to elect a new Vice Chair in March. So we'll put that on the agenda. Um, I mentioned earlier, just as a preview, my term is up and I'm not seeking reappointment. And so in, um, so we're gonna do vice chair in March and then the following um, meeting in May, we will do a reelection of both chair and vice chair. So I just wanna give everyone a preview of how we're gonna handle and um, make this as painless and streamlined as possible to get you guys through to, to your summer meetings. Um, and then uh, we do wanna encourage um, people to come be on these, these boards, either this one or other ones. So Lisa, do you want to give a, a request, a, not an endorsement, 
yeah. <laughs> a you shout know, out for, for anybody who's listening right now. Um, <laughs> the city council is seeking applications from residents who would like to serve on this wonderful commission. Uh, so we do encourage people to apply and to you know talk. If you know if you're already on the commission or if you're listening, you know talk to people who you think might be good and might be interested. Um, and there, this has already been posted by the clerk's office as a vacancy, and people can find the application and more information at alamedaca.gov slash boards and commissions. Or they can email the clerk at clerk at alamedaca.gov. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah, it's, you'll learn something, it's fun, and you don't have to be graceful. I mean, I think I've proven that, so. No standard. Um, okay, so thank you, Vice Chair, and well, yes, we'll 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 talk more on our next meeting. And so that if there's any other commu commission communications, now's the time. No, okay, we're going to try and wrap this up soon. And I will ask for a motion to adjourn. Commissioner Whitesby, all in favor? Aye. Thank Aye. you for spending the night with us. Enjoy your evening.